Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the World Cup is upon us. Upon releasing his 26-man roster, Greg Berhalter has officially ushered in what I think is the start of the World Cup for the U.S. men's national team. Now, with his roster, there are some shocking surprises. There are some people that are flat-out outraged right now, and I am so fired up to get into it. We got a great show planned for you. We have USMNT stand Adam Turner, one of the all-time favorite guests on the show. We have producer Brad, and we're going to hop into all the roster discussion on this episode of the Yank Report. What's up? My name is Sam. This is the Yank Report, the show about the U.S. men's national team. And if you're into that, now is the time to subscribe. Now is the time to hit the like button. We're about to go on this World Cup journey, and I'm so fired up. It's like two years in the making for this channel. It's five years in the making for this national team. A whole cycle, so much leading up to this, and now we're finally here. All that and more. Guys, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into the keepers. I'm going to introduce Adam. I'm going to introduce Brad. All that and more after this break from our advertiser. Football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. It is time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so far, I've been looking forward to doing this video probably since starting the channel. I'm so fired up. I would like to bring on our first guest. He is USMNT Stan on Twitter. He is one of the favorite guests on the Yank Report. He is Adam Turner. Adam, give me your initial reactions from this roster, man. Ah, uh, you're muted. Ah, uh, we got to unmute you. He's uh, unmuted. He's unmuted. All right, cool. Hey, Adam, how are you feeling? Vamos Estados Unidos, baby. Like, hey, bro. Yes, I got the 76 gear here for my guy. Like, I'm ready to go. I got my Geo shirt. I got my lineup of shirts ready, man. Like, I'm just, I'm, to be honest, I'm pumped. Like, it's just uh, everybody I know is going to cope with this kind of day in their own way. There's a lot of fan trauma, what I call it, right, from 2017. Like, everybody's going to do their own thing. All good, right? Uh, and honestly, I'm just kind of the kind of, I'm going to sit back and let you process this day however you need to process it i have chosen to process this day with joy because <laughs> like right we're th- like think back to five years ago and how we felt four years ago and how we felt watching a world cup without the u.s there right no roster announcement day and i remember the pain like I, that whole journey from the top from kuva to the actual world cup which i as a soccer fan i enjoyed as a u.s fan it stung man it just stung to like in my in my soccer watching life, I like I don't remember the eighties. I don't remember, you know, I, don't, I just don't yeah. remember pre ninety four. You know, like U.S. and the World Cup had been all of our existences, unless you were a little older than probably forty, fifty. Now, it's just what you've known, and so we're back. We're back. We're in it, man. And we have a roster, and we've got good players on that roster. And I'm excited to break down some of the minutia and, and all that good stuff too. But we're here. I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, there were so many moments. Uh, gosh, 
COVID comes along and all of a sudden we don't even get friendlies. I mean, we get no soccer at all for that long period uh, throughout World Cup qualifying. There were moments where it was like, are we about to not qualify again? Are we going to lose this thing again? And, and just to get here on this day where it's like, it's real. It's less than two weeks away. We've got the names. I mean, there's some controversial things happening on the roster, but the main guys are healthy. A lot of them are playing well right now. The, the guys that we're excited about are going to be there. I'm so fired up. Producer Brad, how are you feeling today? I'm, I'm so excited, man. And we, we can hem and haw as much as we want about what we we're going to hem and haw. Don't worry. There we will, will be hem much and haw. hemming and hawing. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if that's a real term or something my mother just used to say. But at the end of the day, we're going to the World Cup, and this is going to propel us forward for this new generation of soccer fans and this new generation of players that are young, exciting, and enthusiastic and it's something that we can all gather around and i think it's just really gonna you know there are some head scratchers uh and then there's probably some stuff going on in the background that we're not even privy to but at the end of the day let's get excited man let's break this thing down and then let's get behind these boys 100 absolutely let's get started where we always start uh we're gonna start with the goalkeepers and we're gonna finish with the strikers because i feel like that's gonna be an interesting discussion now getting started right out the bat with the, with the goalkeepers, and I was watching this live on ESPN, and, you know, there were rumors that Zach Steffen was going to be left off this list, mm -hmm. but still going in, I was like, is he really going to leave? That, Zach Steffen's his guy. That was his club keeper. I, I really thought that there was a chance that Zach Steffen was going to start in Qatar. It just felt like he was uh, one of Greg's boys. And Greg announces the, the, the list of names, and it's Matt Turner, it's Ethan Horvath, and it's Sean Johnson. I, I think a, a directive right from the beginning that there were going to be some some surprises, and also that Greg was not having this goalkeeper controversy heading into the World Cup. It was going to be Matt Turner's tournament, uh, which I think is 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 a good thing ultimately for the U.S. I think he's playing the best right now. Uh, Adam, we'll start with you. Your reaction to the goalkeepers? Listen, Stefan hasn't played consistently well for a long, long time, and I think that. Um, Greg is slow to move off of his guys. I think Stefan's been one of his guys. It's a very, like, it's just confusing, you know, and I'll, I'll talk more about this when we get into the back line, but just the investment of time, you know, like that's the biggest thing, how much time we've invested in certain people over the last, you know, three years. And to see certain guys not even on the roster, you know, who we invested this much time into. And I'm just wondering, like, is Stefan like a bad teammate when he's not playing? Is he... Do guys not like him? Like, I just, because it seems like he's a guy who would be well-liked, who would, if even if he's going to be your backup or your third choice, a guy who knows what you do and is already integrated and just kind of seamless, right? So kind of weird, just kind of weird that we went from, you know, Zach Steffen being our starter to Zach Steffen not being on the roster. It's just wild, wild stuff to me. There's definitely something, you know, you talked about it a little bit, Brad, but like there's something else that we don't know i feel like whether that's a conversation like hey zach we're going with matt this world cup how do you feel about that right are you good mm -hmm. being on the roster maybe voices you know some level of you know concern that makes triple g go maybe we should leave him home you know maybe he's going to be a distraction brian what you I, got i th i think uh greg wasn't even gonna let that let it get that far um, I think to borrow a phrase from another sport, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Uh, and with this situation, it's with the goalkeepers. I think with uh, Stefan, I think I think Matt Turner has, you know, 
taken advantage of the opportunities that he's been given and uh, hasn't hasn't let it hasn't let us foot off the gas. And um, I think if if Greg thinks that there's even a sliver of a doubt for any fractions in that locker room, he's nipping that in the bud with this. You know, Brad has been recommending me every week to listen to the uh, American Fiasco podcast that Roger Bennett put out about the 1998 World Cup. And I, I finally binged it. I listened to all 10 or 11 episodes. And one of the things that came up about the 1998 World Cup is the coach, Steve Sampson, sat a lot of the old guard. In particular, he sat Marcelo Balboa and Alexi Lawless uh, throughout the tournament. And after the games, whenever the team didn't perform that well, Alexi in particular voiced his opinion to the media. Some of the old guys voiced their opinions. Um, and it seemed to really just destroy the team right there. And, and you wonder in that situation, if you're the head coach going in and you know that you're going to be benching some veteran guys, some guys who are uh, big, uh, some of the stars of the team, is it better to leave those guys at home than to bring them with you? And, and I wonder if, if that is the case right there. It seems like Greg has, has really uh, made his opinion felt about who the, the keeper is going to be, and there's just absolutely going to be no keeper controversy heading in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you, you, you just, you this is such a short buildup that you can't take any risk with that. I think, you know, if we had the opportunity to bring him into camp and he was a good locker room guy, we had a month long buildup with multiple games. Sure. Maybe then he gets called in, but I, I just don't think that uh, I think, the argument, and I see the comment up there, um, I don't think, I think we're, we're all in agreement that Zach Steffen wasn't number four and was just left off. I think it was that he was 1A or 2, uh, 1B or 2, excuse me. Um, yeah. And with a longer buildup, maybe he gets called in and gets a chance to prove, you know, he's behind Matt Turner and he's, you know, sharing his thoughts, kind of a, 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 a bench coach a little bit. But if with having seven days of training leading up to the first game, you can't take any chances with that. But Adam, I, I really like Mike Irish's question. Who is the number two? I'm going to let you uh, in the keeper section here. Who do you, what do you think the, uh, what do you think the, the, the one through three is for the keepers heading into Qatar? I mean, I think it's probably Horvath. I mean, he's the one guy who has some level of big game experience. You know, I think he's played pretty well from what I've seen. I haven't watched all of his games, but he seems to play pretty solidly this year. Um, but honestly, you know, Brad, Brad, back to your point, I think that what's scary is, and I've kind of poo-pooed, um, COVID a little bit, <laughs> like, I don't there's just not a lot of COVID absences anymore, right? I've been watching NBA this year. Yeah. There's very few games missed to COVID. I, I don't even remember one and same thing with soccer. You just don't see it that often anymore. So I'm not as worried, but it could happen, right? Like he, Turner could be out for some reason. What I'm interested in, if Stefan is the number two talent-wise, right, then are we leaving off, right, our best backup option? I actually don't think that's true. I think Horvath and Stefan are probably neck and neck from what I've seen this year. I don't think there's, like, a clear differentiation. So I don't even know if I believe in that. But if if Triple G does, that is a bold play to, to leave off the guy you see as your, as your number two. Um, but sure. I got Horvath, and then, you know, Johnson seems to be, like, the perennial nice guy, glad to be here three. Yeah, uh, from Greg's from Greg's press conference, uh, he mentioned that Horvath has come in in big moments. He not only mentioned the uh, Nations League final, but he also mentioned the championship playoff game uh, that he had to come in for for Knott's Forest, and he made a, a, a big save or two. 
uh, in that game. So in regards to who was our number two, Greg was pretty clear that it was going to be Horvath. Yeah, of yeah. the players on the roster that scare me the most, um, Zach Steffen is definitely among them. So um, I'm, I'm kind of happy that this <laughs> happened. It's, I, I don't have to see it. Let's move on to the center back position where we have more fireworks once again. Uh, just pulling up the roster right there. It doesn't even have the names on it. All right. Uh, so we have Walker Zimmerman. We have Tim Ream. We have Aaron Long. And we have Cameron Carter-Vickers. Now, there has been a lot of discussion about the center back position. There has been a lot of discussion about Aaron Long, and there's been a lot of discussion about Tim Ream. We're still heading into the World Cup without really knowing who our top center backs are going to be. Um, there's a couple of uh, things out there to consider. Number one, Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long have been in the MLS camp for the last few weeks preparing for this tournament together um, with Greg Berhalter there. So there's definitely an argument for that. Uh, being a, a thing to build off of. Uh, but the other thing is, I, I think Greg Berhalter in, the, in his last few press conferences has really expressed um, how much he appreciates the players playing in, in top competition week in and week out and how that's a big deal for him. And I, I think specifically team, Tim Ream comes to mind as a player that's uh, facing this type of competition. I think he name-checked Josh Sargent as playing against this type of competition week in, week out. Guys like we're going to see against Wales and, and, and Tim Ream is in the exact same category. Tim Ream also has that connection with Anthony Robinson, who is his left back at Fulham. Uh, so that's a pretty rock-solid connection right there, and that, that's a tough thing to pass up. So uh, let's start with, Brad, your reaction to the center back position, and who do you think is going to be the pair that's going to start uh, for the first game against Wales? I think it's going to be Walker and uh, Ream. Um, in Greg's press conference, someone asked him the poor <laughs> – Greg was a little flippant um, with, in his response, but they asked, what was your reasoning for bringing uh, Tim Ream? And he goes, have you watched Fulham? <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, okay, Greg, we get it. Um, but he also was asked about the partnership between Jedi Robinson and Tim Ream, and he called that the sweetener um, to um, that whole situation there. That's, uh, I think none of us had Tim would have had Tim Ream uh, in our camp come uh, before the start of the Premier League season. He hadn't been called in since like the yeah. Nations League final, um, but he's having the season of his life. God bless him. I mean, the dude's working in. I, I really like Tim Ream from the uh, perspective that he has been in the Premier League and he has been in the championship on a team that's kind of played jump rope a little bit between promotion and relegation. That he's kind of got to be, he's he'll be that steady Eddie in that guys can look at and go, you know, there are a bunch of young dudes and he he can be that guy that went, we're fine, guys, we're fine. Yeah. Um, that's that's a big thing for me. And and mentioning that Nations League final in that huddle, he was kind of going to guys, make sure everybody got their 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 say in there, um, right when they headed into extra time. So I, I really think. Greg looked at that and granted there are a bunch of injuries that probably helped Tim Ream's yeah. case. Not only the fact that he's um, having the season of his life, but I, I really think that leadership and, and that cool hand Luke kind of thing that he, he, he brings to the table really was um, really, really was a factor in Greg's decision. And to your point about settling things down, I mean, one of the things that we saw in that September window, especially the game against Japan early on, 
whenever things started to go bad. When things started to go bad, the team didn't recover. In fact, they got worse. Um, and having somebody on the field with that experience, uh, I think he's 35 years old, um, just just one of the older players on the squad. I mean, that could be a big help in the World Cup. Adam, your thoughts on the center back position. Who do you think is going to start against Wales? Uh, yeah, I, I think he's just going to go Zimmerman along, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe my pessimism. But here's my here's my take on the center backs, right? And this is what worries me. And I'm not going to say that this is like doom, total doom and gloom. But I'm a little nervous. And here's why I'm nervous, right? I look across our center, our four center backs, and I see Tim Ream, who has played 90 minutes of soccer for the national team. I think first game, he played the full game of World Cup qualifying, I think, right down in um, El Salvador. El Salvador? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think he played that whole game. Kind of a random start. And everybody was mad about it, by the way, too, uh, about a year ago. And so he plays 90, he's played 90 minutes, hasn't been in a camp since then, right? And I, he's fine like system wise he's fine right he's had enough experience with greg but it's a little bit weird right like he hasn't played with zimmerman much he hasn't paired with zimmerman he doesn't have much experience next to zimmerman at all right so yes he has the the jedi experience but his center back pairing which matters a lot you see that how you cover for each other how you you know the spatial awareness with each other understanding you know who's going to maybe go forward a little bit more who's going to drop back all that matters and I'm worried about that because like CCV less than 220 minutes with the national team, you know, since what a long time since 2019, right. He hasn't been brought into many camps. Like these guys have been brought into like one camp in the last year, each longs in terrible form. He just is long has looked really bad for a year now. And Zimmerman's look solid. We know what we're going to get out of Zimmerman. So I'm just worried. Who's going to be that other guy. That's where my heart's beating a little bit. I'm like, Oh, left side. Yeah. I, to Brad's point though. Remus played really well this year. There's no real reason to think that he can't transfer that over. But my question for Greg is what are our tactics going to be? What are we trying to do? And if we're playing Reem, we got to make sure we're not trying to do things that are going to put him in bad spots. It's true, man. It's true. It's one of those discussions where there's just not really good answers. Uh, we're gutted for the losses of, um, yeah. of Miles Robinson and Chris Richards. Uh, we were really hoping that those guys could be there. If, if they're in this discussion, I think it's just an entirely different discussion. And the team is a lot stronger than it is right now. Uh, but what do you, Sam, what do you Sam, do? Can I quickly just ask you one thing, though? We, we invested a lot of camp spots and a lot of minutes, right, relatively, to Mark McKenzie and Eric Palmer. Those guys have been heavily involved. Yeah. And for neither of those guys to be on the roster, it's just kind of troubling. It's like, I feel like six months ago, Greg had to have been thinking those two were going to be the guys because go look at it. Like McKenzie's gotten a lot of chances, not, you know, relatively, a lot of chances to, to yeah. show it. And I don't know, maybe those guys just played their way out, right? And he's like, you know what? Let's go back to the old, you know, the old steady old safety blanket. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, Mark, Mark McKenzie is another one of those guys on the list that I'm terrified to see on the field. I, I feel like- he gives an absolute howler up every single game, not just like the 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 not quite up to it play that we get from Aaron Long, like a, absolutely giving a chance away every game. It feels like with Mark McKenzie, not just not just with the national team, but you see it as club too, and it's one of the reasons why he's been struggling for playing time. He's gotten a little bit more consistently with his club team, uh, but he's a player that I'm just nervous about. EPB is a player that we really get to see that much um, it, for. We, we have to trust Greg's player evaluation because we just didn't get the opportunity to see him with the national team. But for whatever reason, whenever all those guys were in camp uh, and they were in the summer, 
Uh, Greg went with Aaron Long. He went with CCV, and he went with Mark McKenzie over Eric Palmer Brown. Um, I, I guess we just kind of got to live with that. But it, it's just it's just a situation where I don't know if there are right answers with this group. Any more on the center back position? I, I would say um, the one thing that uh, Adam brought up about um, the communication in the back line and that partnership. I think one of the things that's um, interesting is we have to remember that Triple G was a center back himself. Um, and I think he can kind of get Walker and uh, Reem, if it is going to be Walker and Reem, in a row and say, all right, here's who's going to be barking out orders. Here's who's going to be calling the step and when to drop. Um, and I think one of the things that's interesting is those are two of the three oldest. I think Yedlin is the only other one uh, that's uh, older than Walker. I think it's Reem, Walker, and uh, Yedlin and uh, uh, Sean Johnson are the oldest guys and they're the more most experienced and they're really calm dudes. They're not guys who are going to lose their heads. So if things are, aren't really going their way and we want to play a little lower back, um, uh, drop into a lower block, I think that'll, uh, that'll bode well for us. Um, we probably won't be playing the most attacking style that I think uh, we could. Um, but I think it'll be a lot less cause for worry, uh, if that makes any sense. I, I don't know. I, I, I think this is a situation that I, I think Greg, re- I mean, all of us really thought that Chris Richards would be back right now. I mean, during the summer, whenever yeah. he missed that camp, it was like he's going to be back in, in no time for Crystal Palace. Uh, and, and it just never happened. Even even the last camp in September, it was like, who's going to be the backup for Chris Richards? And, and you know, it, we just got the uh, rug pulled out from under us. Um, really tough situation. And, and, and at this point, we just got to hope those guys play well. I mean, there's been we, we've gone to World Cups with bad players that didn't play the worst, you know, didn't lose this game. So uh, we'll, we'll have to hope that that th- those guys can hold up whoever it is. Let's move on to the fullbacks. We get more surprises there. Uh, the fullback position will be Serginho Dest, Joe Scally, DeAndre Yedlin, Anthony Robinson, and Shaq Moore. Brad, uh, no, actually, Adam, this time, we'll start with you. Uh, fullback position, your thoughts? I, the obvious is Shaq Moore. Like, similarly, right, I'm going to show a little bit of my frustration now just because, you know, I kind of broke it down and was like, all right, let's go dig into this. Like, what, what's going on here? One camp in 2022. One camp, and he was a late call, I believe, into the March camp. Yeah. I think he got pulled he in. He played the Gold he Cup. Really- he was a great contributor on the Gold Cup, uh, and we saw him in that he last – In the Gold uh, Cup a year and a half ago, right? Like, it, like it just – I just don't – you know, the, my confusion is, you know, I, I liken it to – you know, if you – I'll go on a tangent here. I've been kind of like putting this thread together in my brain for the last week. I liken it to like investing, right? So I think on our team, right, I think a great coach or general manager – when you're developing players and you're developing a system like this, it's like investing, right? You have like stocks. And so like, to me, like Pulisic, Adams, McKenney, our best guys, that's like the, the Fang stuff. That's Facebook, Apple. That's easy, right? Like put the money in, you know, you're going to get money back, right? Those are easy. What's hard about investing is trying to find like the other stocks, right? That mm-hmm. like aren't their French stocks. Some of them are going to become Tesla, right? Some of them are going to become Uber and they're in early stages and you've got to identify those. And you've got to like, in investing, you're going to, if you, either of you guys invest, you're going to miss on a lot of investments too, right? Yeah. You're going to miss on maybe as many as you hit, right? But you're going to hit big. 
And I just don't know, looking back at this, this is more of a big picture than just the fullbacks here. But like, did we invest the time that we had into player development, team development, roster development? Did we invest it well? Shaq Moore is a really good example. Like, why is Shaq Moore the decision now, but he wasn't a de- the decision in September to bring in, to have as a part of the pre the tune-up, right? Why wasn't he a decision to, to, to bring in in June? I don't know if he was injured or not, but like, yeah. it's just very strange to me that now he's the call when he wasn't. Cannon's been the call for like forever. Yeah. And we've invested all this time in a Cannon and it's a busted stock, man, right? And now we're like, you know, at the craps table playing craps instead of, you know, investing smartly. So- that's kind of my take on the Shaq Moore thing. I do think he also just might be the fourth right back and it might not matter. You know what I'm you, saying? You could like, also apply that logic to Scally as well, though. You No, you could, you 100%, right? Like you're spot on, right? It's like Scally, it's like, you know, shouldn't we have like put, put our money into that stock last yeah. fall, right? And started to like, you know, accrue some freaking interest there and like start to make some money on it. And we didn't start to do it till when? June, right? So- I don't listen. Destin Jet are great. They're great. Um, I think that if Scally's called on to be the third guy, he's he's. I think I have confidence he'll be good. He looked good last time out for us. I think he'll step up. I think Yedlin can do a job if we need him to do a job yeah. at some point. He could do a job. Those are the four dudes. It's a pretty obvious position to me. Like I think Moore might just be like you know one of our last three roster spots. And for some reason, Greg likes him. For some reason, he likes him now, and he didn't like him two months ago. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, for some reason, he likes him yeah. now. I can't quite figure that one out, though. The Scally thing is weird, man. Looking back on Greg's tenure, it has been weird because throughout World Cup qualifying, remember, those qualifiers, the, the rosters didn't have a cap. I mean, you could bring as many players as you want. So sure. you have this young kid who's playing really well in the Bundesliga. I mean, there, there are arguments that you could make, and I think Greg made some of these arguments about didn't want to take him away from the team, allow him to solidify his spot within that roster. You know, you could you could make some of these discussion points, but at the same time, like you said, it, it would have been great if we would be in this position and Joe Scally would have had, you know, two or three qualifiers under his belt um, and we would be a little bit more um, comfortable relying on him in a World Cup situation. Um, th- that's scary. Now, speaking of relying so- on someone in a World Cup situation, I mentioned the players that really scared me to death. One of them was Reggie Cannon uh, heading into this World Cup. I mean... It felt like every time I saw Reggie Cannon one-on-one defending, he was getting torched. I mean, I, I, I can't remember. Was it Saudi? I believe it was the Japan game where Reggie Cannon got just every time they came down that left flank and were one-on-one against Cannon, he was giving up shots. I mean, he does offer that, that po- positional thing where he can play the third center back. But if you're getting cooked like that on one-on-one situations, then, then what is the point of it? Um, so I, I was terrified. All along, I, I thought um, – I thought Shaq Moore has gotten hard done by. I thought he's just a flat-out better fullback uh, than Reggie Cannon and DeAndre Yedlin right now. I feel like he's outplayed both of them uh, this season and and with the national team. So I'm kind of relieved that Shaq Moore is there, but at the same time, I'm also confused, just like you are, that why not be be around uh, in the last window? Brad, your thoughts on the fullbacks? Um, I think for the fullbacks, if we're seeing Shaq more, I think we're going to be in trouble because that means there <laughs> have probably been some injuries. Um, because if you look at it, we've got four mainly right-footed guys and only one really true left back in Jedi Robinson. Now, during the last camp, you, Sam, you and I talked about this. Uh, Greg answered that question with who is the backup 
left back, and that's Serginho's ass. Yeah, he he made that pretty clear when um when he had uh, I don't I don't know if he started over there, or he started the second half over there, but he made that pretty clear. Uh, and then I think the backup plan to that, if Des has to go over there, it's Scally on the right, um, and it's it, it'll just I don't I don't know. That just it it, it, it seems like uh, moving deck chairs on the Titanic there if if if, if that's the situation. Um, I want to ask you guys this. Do you think that Shaq Moore could feature more if we go into a back three? Do you think that's something to, to consider? I'm just going to say once again, if we go into a back three in this World Cup, I'm going to be flabbergasted. When was the last time we played a black, back three, Brent? Japan. First, uh, second afternoon to Japan. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, that I was, so and that was the one time. But that was the Reggie Cannon back three, right? That was, very, that was, that was Reggie very, Cannon and yeah, I was very tuned out in the second half of Japan. The quasi back three. Yeah, I don't know. We like haven't done it in a high in a high stakes. I guess we did it then. I, I can't remember the last time we did it in World Cup qualifying. I feel like we haven't done it since that first window when I think we opened the Honduras game in a back three. I know we yeah. did it in yeah, Nations League final and Nations League final, but like, yeah. I guess my point is like. We have three high stakes games. If we go in and do something that we haven't practiced a lot, like I'm just going to be so weirded out. I'm just going to be like, like, I just don't get, if this is something that we're doing, we've had a lot of time to invest more time into preparing for it. So I don't know, but I, I don't know. I, I was, I was a keeper. I wasn't a center back. Maybe playing a back three is not as hard as I think it is compared to <laughs> a back four. Like I, I, you know, I, I pointed at people and told them where to go and, maybe going there was easier than i think but like it's just it's just the number of fullbacks we brought that's kind of giving me cause for pause there and giving me that thought yeah i would think if we're playing if we're thinking about playing a back three then we bring a fifth center back uh the fact that we only brought four kind of kind of weird if we're going to play a back three And, and i'll say this regarding reggie cannon and the back three situation um i thought in the saudi arabia game Serginho Dest played left back instead of right back, and he played a very interesting left back where he dropped back, uh, which allowed Weston McKinney to get forward, allowed Christian Pulisic to get out wide, and he essentially functioned in that system as a a three-man back line in much the same way that Reggie Cannon was functioning uh, in, in that way. And he was super effective in that role. I mean, that that I think the first half against Saudi Arabia, just about everything was coming down the left flank with, with Dest heavily involved. Uh, so I really felt like in that in that situation, seeing that, it's like, what's the point of bringing Reggie Cannon if Serginho Dest can do this on the left flank? And if you have Serginho Dest on the left, then you can put uh, a, a solid defender like Shaq Moore on the right and, and then have uh, Tim Weah out wide. You know, you could do some interesting things with that position. If you're in a situation where you have to either uh, take out an attacker for or take out a defender for an attacker or uh, something happens with Anthony Robinson and, and you have to uh, you have to pivot in that way. So I felt like seeing that tactical wrinkle uh, made it uh, made Reggie Cannon dispense, dispensable. And it was one of those situations where I think a lot of people were so upset about the results of the Saudi Arabia game and the Japan game that they kind of missed this this whole thing that happened. I made a video about it and like nobody watched it. I mean, it was one of the less watched videos and a lot of people were just committed to the idea that we didn't try anything new in that, in that camp, nothing good could come out of that camp. You know, it was just all terrible, but I really think that that tactical wrinkle right there is the reason why, why uh, Reggie Cannon became dispensable and we're in this situation. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, listen, fullback, I, you know, just to be honest with you, 
I just think Jedi and Des play as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. And we'll knock on wood that they don't get hurt. And that's okay. Pray for those ankles. We and, know and that's a good time to mention like the overall theme of this roster, the overall theme of this tournament and this team is we have, you know, 15, 13, 14 good players and everybody else we hope we don't see on the field is just the reality. Uh, our World Cup is going to be determined by our best players, our top players. We got to get the most minutes out of them as possible. So the guys who, who are behind them. I'm I'm just not as hard pressed about like who are the last three guys on the roster. I'm hoping we don't get to see them. We need we need our top guys performing and performing well. And luckily, a lot of them are doing so right now. Let's move to the midfield. Uh, I, I think the midfield was was kind of chalk a little bit as far as like compared to some of the other positions. Uh, we get Eunice Musa, we get Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Luca Della Torre is a little bit of surprise. Uh, Kellen Acosta. Brendan Aronson, and a, a big surprise, I think, is Christian Roldan over Malik Tillman. I think there was a lot of Malik Tillman chatter um, over the last couple of weeks, but it ends up being Christian Roldan who missed the uh, end of the MLS season and, and the September window um, due to an injury, but he is back with the squad. Uh, let's start with Brad this time. Your thoughts on the midfield position? Uh, I think the obvious one uh, that gave everybody a little head scratch was Christian Roldan, but then again, we're kind of going back to that last three in sort of deal. And do you bring a guy who you, you kind of like, who hasn't really proven to you, at least at a national team level uh, in Malik Tillman, or do you go for the vibes? And I think that's what Christian Roldan uh, brings you. He seems to be very yeah. well liked in that locker room. And, and there, that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, one of the things that I did think was interesting was that Brendan Aronson was listed as a midfielder. Um, I think that's something that could come into play if Weston isn't quite 100% for Wales. I think they could start Brendan Aronson in more of a 10 role. Uh, so that's kind of, uh, those are my main thoughts. But the one thing that I always come back to is that if it's all healthy, it's going to most likely be MMA in that midfield. And uh, I think we really missed that Eunice Musa presence in that last window. And he really has proven himself to be indispensable there was a unison which size hole in that midfield yeah. someone who could work on the half turn and advance the ball really high up high up the pitch so um christian rolled on he's there for vibes good vibes all around cool um, adam I, I saw you had a thread kind of about this vibe situation what were your thoughts on the on the midfield position so first of all i totally agree chalk like we knew what the sixes were going to be we've known that for a long long time uh you know we know mma we know, honestly, I kind of feel like we knew Luca Delatore had kind of locked himself in as like, you know, a, you know, a guy that maybe gets, you know, put in a game with 10 minutes left if we need a spark. He's shown some sparks, right? It's in some certain moments where he's been able to come into the game late. And I like him there, you know? And then Br Aronson seems like the flex, right? He's mm -hmm. like, he's the Swiss Army knife. You can throw him as a, you know, backup wing late in the game to go press and be a crazy man. You could you know, start him in the midfield if you need to. You can do a lot of things with Aronson. And so I think he's kind of the Swiss Army. And then Roldan is, you know, to your point uh, on, on the thread that I put out yesterday, I just think that, you know, I, I, I did a ton of research on last World Cup. Teams are playing about 16 and a half guys last World Cup. Okay. Shorter turnarounds this World Cup, for sure. Five subs. Okay, for sure. And, you know, honestly, you know, COVID injury concerns, we're in the middle of a season. I get all that. I don't think we're going from 16 and a half guys 
to 22. I just don't. Like, maybe maybe there are more field players. When I say uh, 16 and a half, it's field guys, not including keepers, right? Yeah. So, like, maybe we go up and teams are using more like 18 to 19 guys, field guys, this World Cup. I buy it. I just don't think many teams are getting to 21 unless it's like game three, we can check out, right? Game three of the group, we're good to go. You know, let's put everybody in. Let's rotate and rest. Like who, what team can go to 21, man? Like, you know, I, I put out another thread today, like Canada, you know, I thought, and I think this is a core difference between us and Canada. We in World Cup qualifying use like 19, or sorry, we use 20 and 21 guys, like every single window. We were going 20, 21 field guys, 22 field guys last fall, right? Yeah. Canada's going 17, 18. They like mm-hmm. know who their guys are. They know what they do. They know they can't trust 19 to 22. So don't go to 19 to 22, you know, if you need, and that's in three game windows in seven days, right? Three game windows in seven days, we were using 20 guys. I don't think we're going to be using 22 guys with three games in nine days. So yeah, Roldan, you're looking at the roster, Roldan, Morris, Shaq Moore. Those three stick out to me as like, they are field players, 21, 22, 23. I don't yeah. think any three of them will step on the on the field. I think we have major issues if any of the three of them step on the field um, with where we'd be at that point. Yeah. And man, we and we've got a good first 20. And going back to the midfield, we've got a hell of a midfield, right? Paul Dan is there for some intangible reason that we don't know. Totally fine. Greg can bring him. We've got a great midfield, man. Look across the board. We got a midfield that can compete with anyone, I think. Yeah, I thought one of the really big uh learning points for Greg Berhalter during the World Cup qualifying cycle was early on he thought rotation was going to be a really important thing and, and our, our depth was going to be important. And we saw pretty early on that our, our rotation team, our rotation 11, was getting torched. And I think after the second window, we saw a lot less rotation. I mean, even like um, in the away game against Jamaica, I think was the first time we really saw like the best 11 possible uh, start that game. Mind you, it was absent Weston McKinney, who I think, and, and Miles Robinson, who who had like card accumulation or something. And we lost that game, but it was a, a step in a different direction where we stopped seeing Christian Roldan and Paul Ariel and some of these other guys uh, that people didn't like as much. We stopped rotating. Um, and, and I think we we learned that from Canada, who who didn't rotate much throughout World Cup qualifying, and it went, worked really well for them. Another point on the World Cup, uh, you mentioned quicker turnaround, but of course you're in the same city. So usually in the World Cup, you're having to travel a whole lot. So there won't be travel days in this World Cup. So I think the players will be able to recover quicker. Uh, so maybe we won't need that rotation as much, um, despite having a quicker turnaround. So that'll be interesting. Now, we, we, we are talking a lot about the guys who won't be playing. Uh, a, a few guys who certainly will. Who, who You mentioned Brendan Ayrton as a wild card. But Gio Reyn is another wild card on the squad. And he's a player that was really an afterthought throughout World Cup qualifying because he, he was just absent. You know, he's a player that we always wanted to have. We were excited to see what he could do in this group. And he just wasn't a player that was a part of it. He's back now. And, and as he's been brought back to Borussia Dortmund, he's been playing the bulk of his minutes um, in the attacking midfielder positions, either the 10 or one of the wings or something like that for Dortmund. Uh, we know that he can potentially play uh, in, in that attacking midfielder position that, like we've seen Brendan Aronson play. Um, your, your thoughts on, on how we're going to deploy Geo and how we're going to deploy Brendan uh, versus the MMA midfield. Brad, let's start with you. I think if you're in a situation where you have to start Geo at one position and then bring Brendan on at the 60-minute mark, I think that's a champagne problem. Because if you have a guy with 
the quality on the ball and the knowledge and the way he reads the game of, of Gio Reyna. And then you have to chase Brendan Aronson, who has three lungs and is just going after you like crazy and doing it every week in the Premier League. I think that's just, that's a good problem to have. Um, I like Gio a little more centrally, but then again, he scored two weeks ago uh, from, uh, he was, he was, uh, I think he was playing left wing and, and he was a little wider. Um, so get him on the field. The kid's magic. Um, he might be our best player at a couple of different positions. I mean, he is that good. Uh, Adam, I, I have a question for you, and I think Joe Hill sort of, sort of stole my thunder here about Timo and, and Gio. Uh, I, I think after the September window, everybody was screaming, Tim Way is so important to this squad. We need his verticality. Uh, but Tim Way is a player that's actually coming back from injury. I mean, he has been getting minutes from Lil, but he's had less minutes than Gio's had. Gio's actually had more minutes coming into this World Cup. Um, are you concerned at all about Tim Weah's injury and, and his form? And and do you start Gio over Tim Weah in that right wing position at this point? Gosh, yeah, yeah, yes, I am worried um, about Tim Weah because we did you just get worried as I said that? <laughs> I, I just I got worried again because I sometimes like forget that he's coming off injury and he just yeah. isn't playing that much and he's just kind of. But I, that's kind of what it was like last year, I feel like. And every time he got to the national team space, it didn't matter if he wasn't playing a lot for Lille. It didn't matter where his form was. He just kind of like connects the dots with our team. I, I don't, I can't put my finger on it. I think it's the verticality. I think it's the runs. I think he offers something that Gio doesn't, Pulisic doesn't really do it. Even our nines don't really, you know, make runs like that. And 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 he, especially the way he and Dest and Musa just connect on that side. And he's always on the end of these like, just magical little triangle actions and he's making the right run at the right time and getting played through. And there's so many dangerous moments like that, that it's hard for me when I think about the totality of world cup qualifying to think about like how good Tim Weah was honestly, the percentage of great chances that came from Tim Weah in world cup qualifying. It's a little scary to me to take that fully out of the picture. Um, but I'm okay if he comes off the bench and he's doing it in the second half. I'm, I'm okay with that if that's all he can do. If he's healthy, he would start at the right wing for me. Gio would start in the midfield. And then, you know, pick, pick, pick Musa, McKinney, whoever looks better in camp. You know, I don't know McKinney's had poor form, but I think there's some interesting conversations there that we kind of miss. Like, do you go, if you do pull Gio to the midfield, right? Do you go, let's just say we're not going to go MMA. Maybe it's second game, maybe whatever. Mm -hmm. well, let's say we have Gio or Brendan starting and you have to go Musa or McKenny. Who do you start? You know, like, do you have a, do you have an opinion on that one right now, Sam, just because of McKenny's form? Uh, I, I, what McKinney are we getting right now is the question. Are we getting the McKinney that we the got question. in September? Or are we getting the McKinney that we were hoping like the Dos Acero McKinney? I mean, the Dos Acero McKinney is, might be our best player if, if he's <laughs> in that form, but if, if he's in the September form, then you start asking questions. I, I think the, the one that a lot of people have circled right now is the Iran game. Uh, going into that game, everybody's expecting Iran to really sit back against this and we're going to have a bulk of the possession. At that point, can you drop a McKinney or a Musa and add a Geo uh, and, and really have that, that big attack that we've been hoping for? I mean, I don't know if there's – I mean, have we – I can't recall. Have we ever had uh, Geo, Christian, uh, Wea? Aronson, so. Musa, McKinney, no. and Adams all available at the same time? I don't think we've ever no. had. And, and that's one of the things Greg pointed out in his press conference when 
uh, he was asked about Paul Areola being left off. He was like, I love Paul Areola. He's great around the team, but we've never had all of these guys healthy at the same time. And yeah. that's really saying something. I mean, knock on whatever closest wood you have that, <laughs> that, that stays that way. Yeah. So I, I, I'm interested to see what Greg does, you know, Musa McKinney. I think there's a great argument. I made it in my roster prediction, my, my roster that I put out for what I would do. There's a great argument that McKinney's a big game player. He's been in a lot, a lot 100%. of big, ga- big games, going back like four or five years now to like Schalke Champions League games. The dude has a lot of big game experience, way more than Musa. And he's been, to your point, Sam, maybe our biggest big game player, him and Pulisic. I feel like have been our biggest big game players and it's not vibes it's like the energy the intensity the he's going to get into dude's face physicality absolutely face. emotion yeah, like that edge i don't think he had it in those friendlies i just can't imagine weston mckinney walking into a world cup and laying a dud from an energy standpoint right like he's going to be west he's going to turn the ball like he's, he's a little sloppy he's a little but i can't imagine him not being all over the freaking field man like i don't care about his club form so for me, McKenney's like a must play. And then I just don't think we're going to play Gio in the, in the midfield, just being honest. I think we're going to get MMA. Yeah. I think Gio in the midfield at this point is a pipe dream. We've never seen it. I don't know if Greg believes in it. Um, I think I, like, start Gio on the right wing and bring way off the bench. That's what I think. Uh, I think I would go opposite though. I think I would bring Gio into the midfield and put way on the right wing. I, I, th- I think the only, I think the scenario we could see Gio, uh, in the midfield is if Weston isn't a hundred percent yet for Wales. And I think what, um, to go back to something you said earlier between, uh, Dest, Musa and, uh, uh, sorry, Tim way, uh, at, at making those runs, get, get stretching things so vertically. And then you have a geo kind of in the middle to make those runs in behind way I think likes getting to the getting to the byline and serving and Gio really likes to go running at guys and showing his quality um so that's when I could see it I could see him um trying to unlock Wales that way if Weston isn't ready to go but if Weston's ready to go I mean he offers so much in the final third uh especially aerially and I think that's that's something that's really hard to um to to leave on the bench especially if Wales is going to sit a little lower and you're going to have to try and go aerial to get, to get goals where you can. Um, then I think you have to have Weston. We're not a scoring juggernaut, right guys? We know that. No. So like, that piece danger is going to have to be something that we like maximize, I think, you know, and it's something that I feel like at times we have, and at other times we haven't, we've kind of gone back and forth, but McKinney, you know, Brad is like, I think you were kind of getting at it. He's maybe our most dangerous guy on set pieces. <laughs> like, I, I think that's, yeah, a hundred. Leave him off makes every corner, every free kick from outside the box where you you know you're 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 sending it makes all those situations. I don't know half as dangerous. I feel like you know, and so I think yeah. that makes him a must play in a lot of ways for me. And, and I think uh, one of our guys who's going to be coming off the bench in this midfield that is going to play a massive role. I at least see him getting one assist off a of set piece is um, Kellen Costa. I think he is one of the sneaky guys on this roster that's actually going to play a very big role. I don't know. I, I hope I see Tyler Adams this the entire time. I, I no, do, I, I absolutely I hope I see Tyler I think, Adams. I think what you might be getting at, right, is like the games where Acosta has been the best are the games where our midfield isn't under a lot of pressure, right? Like mm-hmm. when he has time and we're – and so maybe it is that Iran game if they really are going to sit back, right? 
maybe that is the game that he could have some sort of impact and he's not going to hurt us because he can really hurt us in games where we're getting pressured, you know, like a game like that Japan game, if he was in the game, like he's looked rough in games like that. Not that other guys have looked that much better, but he's looked pretty rough, but I agree. He could be a guy that comes in and is a set piece guy, but I do hope we see as much Adams as possible. Oh no, hundred percent. I'm sewing the armband to Tyler Adams. Uh, yeah, there's sure. not a lot of players in better form right now for the for, than Tyler Adams. I mean, he is he's been absolutely electric for Leeds uh, coming into this tournament. I, I want to move on to the winger position. I think we've discussed a lot of them, uh, but we have Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Tim Weah, and Jordan Morris is a surprise inclusion. Uh, I put Jordan Morris in that bucket of players that we kind of hope we don't see. Uh, it, it's it, there was a lot of discussion about. Um, Jordan Morris versus Paul Areola. Uh, who brings what? You know, what do we want more? Um, I, I do like the physicality of Jordan Morris. You know, think back to the goal he scored for El Salvador. We don't have a lot of attacking players who can be physical and win headers like that. Uh, so he do, does offer something. Uh, the big thing, though, is we hope we don't have to see him very much because we have so many great attacking players. The big question is Christian Pulisic's form heading into this tournament. Um, I, I don't think that we saw the Christian Pulisic that we wanted to see throughout World Cup qualifying. Uh, but lately, in his limited minutes for Chelsea, and even today, he seems to be getting in really good positions right now. He seems to be really dribbling at guys. He seems to be showing those flashes of his electric burst his ability to beat players, to put in great crosses, and, and to get on the end of crosses as well. Uh, so let's start with Adam. Your expectations for this winger group coming in t- to Qatar? We need Pulisic, you know, to really, and, and he said this, but it's saying it and like actually acting on it are two different things. We need him to fully realize he does not need to be the savior for the national team. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, he doesn't need that. He's got a lot of guys that are like, I think at his level, honestly, right? You could argue maybe he's the best of them, but like he's got a lot of guys around him that are very similar, like similar level guys, profiles. So just chill, just chill, man. Just go be you. Like when he was, you know, when he stepped into the national team four or five years ago and he was just him, because that's all, it's 17, 18, that's all you're going to be, right? There's no like pressure. He was so good and so dynamic and we just need him free. You know, I've said that for a long time with him. We need him to, take the shackles off, free himself of whatever's held him back and just go be himself. And when he's himself, he's great. You know, and I, I, I really feel like he's going to capture that um, in this world cup. I really feel like we finally have the full group together. I feel like they're going to impact him in a way that it's like, Oh, cool. Look, my midfield has Wes and Musa across the way is Gio or Timmy. I've got, you know, whoever, whoever the nine, this is great. Like, I don't need to drop back 90 yards to go get the ball, you know, and try and make something happen. I can just be me in my space and do my job and not try and do four other people's job. I feel like he's like trying to do five other people's jobs at, at, at certain points. Right. And he, if he can just be him, he's so freaking good, man. Um, the other side we talked about a lot, you know, I think Aronson is for me, the, the X factor here as a late game sub on the wing. I really think that, I just think that, when it comes to like the high press stuff that he's so good at, I think it's more impactful for a winger than it is a midfielder personally. And so I think like having him come in and just run his ass off for 30 minutes at the end of games and just not be a gnat, you know, against the other team's back line. I really feel like he's going to have a turnover that leads to a goal in a big moment. That's like one of my very specific predictions. I think BA late game sub turnover to a, maybe it's not him, but turnover that leads to a goal 
That's one of my calls. You guys can tweet at me when that happens, all right? I'm absolutely <laughs> here for it. Rando Calrissian with a dollar ninety nine. Is it dollar? Is one ninety nine? My contacts are a little blurry right now. He says Acosta just won MLS Cup? Question mark. Why the Acosta hate? I'm not. I, I'm not hating on Acosta. I don't think any of us are hating on Acosta. I was showing love. He's gonna have a I was big love moment. too. I said there's certain yeah. moments where he can play. He just. He just. Like, listen. If you watched him enough. There's some nerves there, man. Like there just are. Like we've it's, seen it's, him have nervy performances, but he's a tough dude. Like he's a tough yeah. dude. You're gonna get out of him. No, I like him a lot. It's just that I understand that we have 15 or so really good players, and our World Cup's gonna be determined on how they do. And and Tyler Adams is the guy. Uh, if we're seeing Kellen Acosta, that might mean that there's some issue with Tyler Adams, which is not a good sign at all. Or I, I don't know. Maybe it means that we, we've got a lead and, and we need to uh, solidify the midfield and we bring them in. So maybe that's a good thing. But uh, I, I just feel like this World Cup is going to be uh, determined by the, the, our top players and how they perform. Uh, let's see. I, I think it's time to, to move on to the, uh, the marquee discussion, the discussion that's been going on in the background of the chat for this entire video. The striker position, I mean, it has been the, the topic of discussion for the national team for a long time throughout this entire cycle. We get to the very end, and Greg throws an absolute curveball at us. I think the one player that we really thought, or the one striker at least, that we really thought was scratched out was going to be Haji Wright, based on Greg's comments after the El Salvador game uh, in the summer window, where Haji Wright might be the only player that I can recall that Greg like openly criticized or, or kind of openly demolished throughout World Cup qualifying and beyond throughout his national team tenure. And yet here we are, it's time to pick the roster. And instead of Jordan Pifak, instead of Ricardo Pepe, Haji Wright is going to come to the World Cup as a striker alongside Josh Sargent and Jesus Ferreira. Brad, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on the three strikers heading to Qatar. Oh boy. I I guess I'll start with the big headline of uh Haji Wright. It was interesting to hear Greg in his press conference say if we're having this conversation in September, Haji Wright's spot is filled by Jordan Peacock. Um he said that he would have been a lock, but I I I sent this to you, Sam. Uh, I was texting with a buddy of mine yesterday and I was just like P-Fox cooled off. I think if we need that last minute, big dude, go up and get it, kind of send them on their Hail Mary type. Haji Wright's been scoring. And, and I think we all were riding the, uh, the P-Fox train, but uh, when it comes down to it, he's cooled off and Haji's scoring. I think Ricardo Pepe, I think his camp has got to feel so hard done by because he made a big decision to play for the U.S. And he, Greg was the one that brought him into that camp. And he saved Greg's job uh, in the early goings of World Cup qualifying. I just think that that, that camp's got to be, really got to be hurting at this point. Yeah, I think, it, it, the, I mean, it goes without saying that I think all of us are gutted for Ricardo Pepe, just a young kid that really performed well in a big moment for the U.S. I mean, we're gutted for a lot of these players that were on the bubble and didn't make the roster. It's a really difficult spot to be. Uh, Adam, we'll go to you. Your thoughts on the striker position? I'm going to need you guys to – I've got so much, man. I'm going to need to break it up. I can't, li I can't say everything right now, and I feel like I'm going to take up the next 10 hours on the show. So let's go piece by piece here. Ricardo Pepe, right? You said brutal, Brad. Brutal. Brutal. Like, the idea, 
and I, I get it. Life's not fair. It happens. The idea that this kid is torching for Dallas, right? A year ago, a little over a year, torching. He makes a decision to really challenge himself, push himself, go to Europe, goes to Europe, doesn't go great. That's fine. Happens all the time to 18-year-olds. But makes a move back to the Netherlands and actually shows, hey, I am still that dude. If you put me at the right level, I'm still that dude, right? And like, if I hadn't left Dallas, right? I know he's not literally saying this, but this is my interpretation. If I hadn't left Dallas, dude, don't you guys see that I would be Ferreira? I would be scoring the way Ferreira's been scoring the last year. I would be a lock for the World Cup roster if I was in the MLS. And so what's really troubling to me is like, we're sending this message, right? That if you're going to go challenge yourself and play at the highest level and fail, that's not going to work out for you with the national team. As opposed to if you stay at a lower level and torch, we're good. Like some, I saw the comment, Haji Wright's been scoring for nine months. Sure, he's been scoring for nine months in Turkey, guys. Like, I, what is a goal in Turkey worth or in the MLS? What is that worth compared to one Bundesliga goal? We're getting to very philosophical, you know, conversation when we go that route. But like Ricardo Pepe stays in the MLS, he's the starter, right? He didn't, he left, and now he's not. I don't know what the, the message is long-term. I think it kind of sucks. It really, especially because he went back to the Eredivisie and proved, hey, I am still that guy. You can see it, right? It's, I don't know, Pepe was a no-brainer for me. I think he's just better than Ferreira. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think Ferreira is good against a certain level of comp. I think you really see Ferreira's play fall off when the game gets bigger, more physical, faster, and a lot of the stuff that he can do, right? I liken it to college basketball players who step up into the NBA and they're no longer the same level guy, right? Because the game got faster. The game got quicker. Doesn't mean they're bad players. They're still good players but they can't do what they did at the lower level in a higher level. And so that worries me when it comes to Frere, because I think he's going to play a lot, and I don't think his game translates very well to that next level up. I'm going to pause it there. I've got a couple things to circle back to me on Haji and some other stuff, but that's my, that's, that's my peppy deal. Well, I'll be the guy, man. I'll, I'll say, I mean, all of my uh, World Cup roster predictions and, and, and through all the discussions, I've always had Pepe out of this World Cup. I just felt like um, Sergeant Ferreira and Pepe are two similar players, um, and we needed a change of pace. I thought PFOC was going to be that change of pace guy, certainly. Uh, but but Pepe had been the odd man out for me because I felt like uh, w- compared to the other strikers, I, I didn't feel like Pepe's contributions were as great as some of the other guys. Um, I, I think Ferreira brings that that playmaking ability, that ability on the ball, um, the, the ability to create for others. And the ability to find chances. I mean, the guy just flat out finds chances in every game that he's played in so far for the national team against some very high-level competition. Um, I, I don't think you could say the same thing about Ricardo Pepe. And Josh Sargent is probably our best all-around, probably most informed striker right now um, and, and maybe the guy that I would start if I were Greg Berhalter right now. So if you have those two guys who you're already planning on bringing, I don't really see room for Ricardo Pepe uh, in that locker room. I would definitely go with a change of pace guy. The fact that it's Haji Wright, though, is incredibly surprising. Um, it might be, you know, we, we've been talking about locker room things a lot throughout this video. I mean, Haji Wright has some strong relationships with a lot of these guys on the squad. And it might be a situation where, you know, we discussed in, in the Turner, uh, the, the Turner position group, uh, the goalkeepers, where are you going into Qatar with, uh, with, with an established hierarchy? Or are you going to Qatar with, with a bunch of guys who are like really expecting to play? And how does that work out in the locker room? Whenever you, you only got one guy who's going to be able to play and you got three guys that are coming in expecting minutes. Is this a situation where you kind of remove that element 
and, and give it the, the top two guys, Sargent and Ferreira, uh, a little bit of breathing room to kind of work it out on the field. I don't know. These are these are just things that I'm speculating with. Uh, Brad, I, I want to go to you. It seems like you're, you're squinting right now. It seems like you, you have something you've got to say. No, I, I just saw saw this uh this this comment <laughs> it's a lot better than Bamford, <laughs> which that's that hurts but it's yeah also, you know it is what it is um uh you know one of the things i thought greg i thought was interesting that greg said is that um uh josh Sargent has played against a lot of the guys that he's going to come up against uh in the england and the wales game which makes me think oh we, is josh Sargent the the starter okay um I think there is a lot to say for the physicality that's going to come against Wales and against England, because those dudes are going to get bodied. They're not going to back down from any challenges. You're not going to get as much room uh, as you would against other teams. And the Eredivisie is, is great. It, it is a great place for young players, especially to come learn, prove themselves. I think it, it is a great launching pad. Um, but I think Josh Sargent has proven even when out of position, he can get in the nitty gritty and, and really do that work. Sergeant, Adam, Sergeant, back to you. Sergeant is the starter. Uh, in my opinion, Sergeant is the starter. For all, I think you guys make great points. I think he do, I think to your point, Sam, he does do what Ferrer does, right? And this is why Ferrer's not on the roster to me, because I only need one guy like that. I don't need two, and I don't need yeah. the smaller guy who actually is more of a 10 and a second striker. Like, I just don't think – I think Ferreira's career will not be playing at, at the nine. I think once he moves to Europe, which I think he will, I don't think he plays the nine. I don't think he's a nine at that level. I think against Wales and England, he'll look comically small, and he won't be very good. I think he'll be very ineffective, and will have zero aerial presence. And so I like Sargent because he gives you still a little aerial presence, plus a lot of the strengths of Ferreira, plus some other stuff. I like Pepe because he just gives you there, – there's like a moment ability with Pepe that I don't get from Ferreira. If you want to say Pepe's out, then that's fine with me. I just don't know if Ferreira makes my, like Haji's in over Ferreira for me. I'm just super low on Ferreira. I'm not a, you know, Velasquez loves Ferreira. I've been down on Ferreira. I've tried to get into Ferreira. I've tried to buy in. I see the beautiful stuff he does. I see it, but I see it Thanks against like, God. I see it against like CONCACAF. I just don't see it happening against bigger, more physical uh, defenders. And the PFOC thing, right? So I think, I think we can just pivot to PFOC real quick. Well, let's let's take a second because we do have a donation from Rando Calrissian, nice. who apparently is like the biggest Kellen Acosta fan on YouTube. Uh, he donates a dollar ninety nine to say Acosta is nervy, but Pepe is not. Pepe be a wall. I I don't know. I don't know. Is is Pepe a wall? I, I wouldn't say that. I, I don't. I mean, he he's had some not so great performances for the national team where he's kind of disappeared a bit. Uh, I, I mean, thinking back to World Cup qualifying, he started away against Mexico, and I can't recall a whole lot that he did in that game in particular. Uh, he started uh, the game against Saudi Arabia and, and was pulled uh, from that one after not creating a whole lot. I mean, he had that one little pass that, that uh, put uh, Weston McKinney in behind that ended up be, being offside. He had the moment where he mistimed his run on Gio Reyna's ball over the top early on in the game, uh, which would have been a big moment for the national team, but it didn't go through. Uh, but outside of that, not creating a lot. And, and that's where I would push back against Adam whenever it comes to Ferreira and uh, the, the, the fans of Ferreira, which I happen to be one of them, is the knock on Ferreira is that he's not finishing the chances. It's not that he's not creating the chances. And Whenever you look back on the games against Morocco, the games against uh, Uruguay, 
the games against uh, Japan. Uh, I can't recall if he had a moment against Saudi Arabia, but he's getting moments in all these games. He's getting these opportunities. So he's proving that even against this top-level competition, he can put himself in goal-scoring opportunities. It's just a question of whether he can put the ball in the back of the net, which, which remains to be seen for the national team. But I don't question his ability to, to get in those positions to score goals. I do understand questioning his ability to, uh, to hold up and to stand up against more physical uh, defenses. I think we saw that against Japan, where the, the U.S. with that front line of uh, Reyna, Aronson, and Ferreira, all guys who were looking to drop back and get on the ball, nobody really looking to make a, a run in behind, a penetrating run. Um, that, that did not work at all. So I, I definitely understand that. Uh, but I think if you if you put him in the right situation, he can be effective. That's 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 sort of my defense of Ferreira. Yeah, I, I don't have much. I I just don't think it's going to work out very well. Well, I hope it does. If he plays, I really hope it. I'll be freaking has a hat trick, man. I'll be jumping for joy. I'll be become the biggest Ferreira stand of all time if he scores a goal this World Cup. He just has like crushed me, man. I just. I... I just don't, I don't know. I just, and, and to be honest, like, I don't think Pepe's a much better option either. Like Sargent would really dominate the minutes if I was in control of this team. He would dominate the minutes and I would have a change of pace guy. You guys have mentioned it. And to go to that change of pace guy, I just, I, I get that PFOC hasn't scored. He's playing in the freaking Bundesliga, guys. Like, do we really think Jordan PFOC wouldn't have scored goals in Turkey for the last month? Like, that's what I just don't, <laughs> I'm just confused. Like, do we not think that Jordan PFOC would have scored in the MLS if he played? Like, I just, it's tough. It's a tough one for me when your coach goes, well, a month and a half ago, this guy would have been on the team for sure. So, like, are we that overreactionary to the last month and a half? Like, you don't have a gauge of who these guys are. You can't trust more than a month of play. Or does Greg believe in the hot hand theory, which I just don't. I don't believe that a hot striker for their club team in Turkey is going to translate to the World Cup. There's a ton of examples of that not proving true right like there just is no correlation yeah. there. like could he score maybe but there's no guarantee because Haji Wright scored some goals in the last yeah. month in Turkey he's coming to this World Cup and scoring and once again to go back to my investments what are we doing what are we doing like Haji Wright's the guy like we had an entire camp in September a whole camp that he could have been a part of if he's gonna be the guy a month later he's gotta be in that camp like if you look at who was in that camp and who was not in that camp, especially at center back and striker, it's like, you know, like, what are we doing? Like, I don't know. So, I, I don't know. Like, gosh, I, I hope we get some goals out of the nine. I feel like we haven't gotten goals out of the nine in forever. Am I being pessimistic there? Like, have we gotten goals from our nines? No. No. <laughs> no, like, no, never. No. Like, Ferrer like, scored, what, four goals in that one game, right? Like, the... We just don't get like Let's Pepe see. hasn't scored forever. Sergeant hasn't scored for the national team. Forever. Pepe scored against Honduras, and then he scored two goals against Jamaica, and and what a, a not very good Jamaica side in there Austin, go, right? Where we ran over him. He he didn't score after that. Uh, let's see. Ferreira scored uh, against Grenada. He scored against Panama. In, in the 4-1 game, game against Panama. The home game, yeah, he had a big game, right? Um, I, I don't know if he had another one. Um, outside of that. Uh, I don't believe Josh Sargent Fox, scored. Fox hasn't scored since Honduras, right? Like that yeah, was his. Fox scored that goal. I don't Honduras think he scored another one. DK maybe in some front. Like we don't score. DK scored nine. against Costa Rica in the friendlies oh, yeah. uh, after the Nations League final. That was yeah, his goal. Yeah. So I guess my my point here is like I actually wouldn't think just looking at that track record. 
if I'm going with my nines, I think goals are a bonus from the nine. I just think like Greg should be making choices here based on which nines are actually going to set up other guys the most. To your point, that actually could be Ferreira. I just don't trust the ability for him to hold up and be able to do what he does. He is so good at that stuff. I just don't know how well he's going to be able to do it um, against big physical dudes. I think Sargent will. I think that's why Sargent's my guy because it's like, who can make the other guys around them better? Who can be Roberto Firmino? That's what we need, right? We need the Firmino. Um, the guy who isn't going to score very many goals, but everybody around him hopefully gets better chances because he's on the field. And ironically, yeah. Brazil will not be taking Roberto Firmino to the World Cup. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> over the hill. Like, oh, I'm talking about like three years ago, Roberto Firmino. <laughs> Brad, uh, I'm curious, who do you who do you think's getting the bulk of the minutes in Qatar? I think it'll probably be Sargent. Uh, I think Greg's comments were pretty telling today when he talked about uh, Sargent going up against that competition playing in the Premier League last year and the championship this year. Now, I don't know how much stock I put into playing in the Premier League last year where he was playing out of position on a team that was terrible and getting run off the pitch every week. Um, but I do think there is sort of that, I don't know, you're, you're going to be playing against teams that are going to get in there and uh, and, and muscle you. And I, I, I trust Josh Sargent to knock back down from that challenge. Uh, and if uh, – in a game, we need to kind of change things up. And he is versatile. He has played out on the wing uh, as well. So if you need to change things uh, in the middle of a game, I think Josh Sargent is a guy who can do that for you if that is – if if you're he's called upon it to do so. And, and what a cool, like, redemption moment would it be for Josh Sargent to come up big for the national team in the World Cup. I mean, a player – that was anointed as the next guy. Uh, one of the big controversies, I believe, in the 2019 Gold Cup was that Josh Sargent did not get a call up uh, because he was just starting off at Werder Bremen at that time, and that was a big discussion point. And, you know, we get Sargent uh, in the in the summer friendlies, we get him in the Nations League, and he kind of plays himself off the side of the squad. Uh, he, he has this really rough tenure over at Werder Bremen. He has a really rough year in the Premier League. And then it seems to have found himself at the perfect time in the championship and has played himself back into the squad and is back into the World Cup. I mean, what a what a story it would be for Josh Sargent to uh, really come alive in the World Cup. I, I want to go to uh, Evan McMullen, uh, donates $2 to say, Pepe arguably had better goals in qualifying, sad face. Uh, I, it's, I, he had three goals in qualifying. I, the only other striker who had one, I think, was Ferreira. And I think it was just one. So, uh, yeah, I'd say three goals is better than one goal. Uh, I mean, I, I don't like I don't like the discussion where it's like, who did they score against? Um, especially relative to like World Cup qualifying competition. I mean, you can go, go down that rabbit hole a long way. I mean, we could start looking at like Pulisic had five goals to lead the team in World Cup qualifying. And he was one of the higher scores in CONCACAF with five goals. And if you look at that on paper, you say, well, Pulisic must have been a huge uh, offensive help to the national team. It, but he had three goals against Panama. Um, he had one in that game against Mexico in the Dos Acero game, which was huge. But in the Panama game, he had two uh, penalty kicks. And then that, like, one of the greatest goals in national team history. Uh, and I forget where he got his other goal. I think it was against Honduras or something like that. So you, you can start like unwinding where players got their goals and who got, you know, the competition. I, I don't love that discussion. Um, I, I think it, we're, we're kind of wrapping up the forward discussion. Adam, I, I, you feel it looks like you're coming out of your skin right now. Do you have anything to close us out on the forward discussion? 
or discussion I'm good with. You know, you I think one of you guys triggered me. I was kind of thinking about it. We were thinking you we were talking about Sargent, right? And I remember like coming out of COVID, we're all like in our houses for six straight months or whatever. And, you know, we're thinking about the future of this team. Josh Sargent at that point, like you said, he really was like the this is gonna be the guy, right? Yeah. Next two years mm-hmm. is gonna be Josh. Yeah. It also was becoming very apparent that like Pulisic and Reyna were going to be on either side of him at that point. This is kind of pre-Tim Weah's breakout, in my opinion. And then we also had just locked up Musa. And I think we saw him play the, the MMA for the first time in like Northern Ireland. I think it was Northern Ireland friendly, maybe. And we were like, whoa, everyone yeah. was talking about like MMA, next 10 years. And there was this idea of like MMA, Sergeant, Foley, Geo. You know, and now you could throw Weya in and Aronson in as backups. And we haven't seen that yet. You know, we talked earlier, like, we haven't seen this full shit. We actually get to, I'll knock on wood, nothing happens for the next 10 days. But we actually get to see this, guys. That is fun, man. And, like, I think we could see the best Sergeant we've ever seen because of that. Because Sergeant, I think, is better when you put better guys around him, right? Because I don't think he is an individual brilliance guy. I think he's a a, gel, a glue guy, right? He's the guy that, that gels it and brings it together. And it's going to be so fun, man. I'm so excited. Like, at the end of the day, I don't care what iteration of Gio and Musa and McKinney. Like, we get to see good players in the midfield, good players up front, and that is going to be awesome. I can't wait. Yeah, not only that, but, man, Anthony Robinson at that time during those friendlies was not the Anthony Robinson that he is right now. I mean, he was he was struggling. He, he had not put together good performances for the national team. All of a sudden, he's become – one of the top players on the squad. I mean, he was one of the most reliable, most played players throughout World Cup qualifying. I mean, he's arguably our greatest left back ever at this point. Serginho Dest is coming to his own at the right back position. Matt Turner was not even a, a discussion at that point and has come through and is now the backup keeper for Arsenal. I mean, that's that's absolutely crazy. So, yeah, while, while we do have some issues at, at some positions and there are glaring issues for sure, I mean, the outlook to be at this point in this position right now with so many of the players we've been hoping that would be healthy and in this squad for so long are now suddenly healthy and in this squad. It's a really exciting thing. And, and I think this, this is where we're going to end it. Uh, Brad, I, I want you to give me your thoughts. I mean, every week we've been doing these live videos and we've been talking about like our feelings about the World Cup. And it's been it's, it's I mean, it's been a lot of gloom. It's been a lot of doom. It's been a lot of angst following that September window. But but I'm wondering, are you starting to kind of turn it around? Are you getting excited about this World Cup? I've always tried to be a positive guy. I mean, after that, uh, I remember you're, you and I streamed for the first time after the Japan game, and we were just <laughs> down in the dumps. But I told you, let's not go crying into our morning cocktails just yet. I You know, I look at this, and I look at my starting lineup, and, you know, I say there's nowhere that I really go, uh, we're really far off from it. There, I, everywhere I see there is quality in in every different walk of this team. And I and just, I really, I've seen these guys do it in the Champions League. And I've seen Christian Pulisic, Christian Pul- the best Christian Pulisic we saw was in lockdown, was when he was in a close-knit, kind of shut-down kind of um, environment. And I think that's what this team could be. That's what this World Cup could be, especially because it's all going to be in one city. They're going to be in the same hotel room. For the whole thing, I think it's going to be a chance for them to block out the noise, be who they are, be with their friends, and just—I mean—that's one of the things that we mentioned as well. These guys like each other, and and that's that's no small thing to consider. And I really think that there there is a hundred percent 
a chance for this group to gel and really peak together at the same time because fingers crossed they could be coming in healthy and and when they get together they get a few training sessions with them i really think i really think these guys could could put a lot of smiles around us uh, our faces during the holidays I love that you mentioned the camaraderie on the squad, man. I love that you mentioned how much these guys like each other because I do think that that's an important thing. And I think, you know, of of all the reasons to criticize Greg Berhalter, I think he has built a – a, uh, a culture within this group where, where guys want to play for this team and they're happy to be in the camp and they do like each other. Uh, shout out Michael Balanoff, who says only nine likes on this video. Tighten up chat. Guys, there are 300 people watching this video right now. Do we really only have nine likes? Like what's going on right now? Adam, I, I want to give you the last word on this. Your feelings as we head into Qatar on this glorious day of days, World Cup roster day. Man. It's going to be so much fun to, you know, see the anthem, watch the guys step onto the field, watch that initial kickoff. And just like, you know, at the end of the day, I try and as much you know negativity as there is, and as much stuff as I'm sure we all have some issues. I try and just remember, be grateful, right? And some of, some of the fans out there may just be too young. Like they might not have actually, if you're 18, you might not have really gone through Cuba in the way that a lot of us went through Cuba. Like, I'm trying to just live very gratefully, grateful for this conversation, grateful to be talking about a roster that like we have some issues with, right? Like grateful to have some games to watch where it's our team. We get to wear our shirts and our, our since 76 gear and (laughs) and yell at our TVs, you know, like, and not have to watch other countries do it. So like, just like be grateful guys and enjoy it. Like, enjoy it. Like the up, there's going to be ups and downs. That's the beauty of sports. It's not all ups. And I don't, I hope it's not, knock on wood, I hope it's not all downs. Like, I think there's going to be ups and downs. And like, if you went through 2010, it wasn't perfect if you watched that World Cup, right? But it was damn cool at the end of it. In 2014, same thing. Not perfect, but we came out of the group of death and we didn't do it cleanly, right? And there is no such thing as super clean. It's not going to be clean in the World Cup. It's going to be ugly and dirty and grimy. And, you know, but at the end of the day, like, enjoy it. Whether we come out, we don't come out, enjoy it. And gosh, if you yell negativity, yell it with passion. If you yell positively, yell it with passion. Like, just be passionate and have fun with this World Cup, guys. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, I think it may go without saying, but let me be the first to tell you the U.S. men's national team is probably not going to win this World Cup. The, the best, I mean, we're, we're hoping that we can get out of the group. And once we get out of the group, we're hoping that this team can do some magical things. But that's what the World Cup is all about. It's about these magical moments. It's about these things that, that happen on those, the, that field that we just remember uh, for all times. And, and you remember where you were watching it, who you were watching it with, the emotions that it sparked inside of you. And for a lot of the players that are on the team right now, they are on this team because of emotions that they felt watching the U.S. men's national team do things in the World Cup, do things in the World Cup against superior competition whenever we didn't have all these players at all these incredible clubs from around the world. So that's what we're doing this for, man, is to just have these little moments where we we, we, we just see things that just that just take us away to a, a, a different place and just make us so excited to be fans of this team, to be fans of this game. Um, and just to continue following. I mean, that's that's what really ignites the passion. Spicy Pineapple says, with a four ninety nine donation, at the end of the day, we are here. Time to stop the debate argument and just go out and support our boys in the red, white, and blue. Amen. I mean, I, I don't mind the debates and the arguments and all that stuff. That's, that's fine and good. But I, I do think uh, once we get closer, once that kickoff starts, I think 
everybody will be passionate and fired up and, and cheering these boys on. I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Adam, thank you so much for coming on, man. You are awesome as always. Producer Brad, appreciate your takes as well. I am so excited for the World Cup, man. I think this is the first day where it really hit me. I woke up feeling like it was game day. Guys, if you enjoyed the video, make sure you hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. We do these uh, live videos every week. It's usually Wednesdays at 7 p.m., so make sure you're coming back and checking us out. We'll be riding with you all the way up to the World Cup, all the way through the World Cup. After the World Cup, we're here, and, and we're going to continue to be here. So we appreciate you for being with us. Thank you so much for watching. My name is Sam, and this is the Anchor Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.